Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. All right, so here's, here's, here's a statement out of the gate I would make for you. And today's proclamation is going to be more life coaching, and uh, it's going to be some motivation, agitation, stimulation, whatever you want to say. But here, here's a statement I would make, and we've established this over the last weeks. We're in a spiritual battle. Uh, right now, uh, each and every one of us, that we, we, you go, man, I love Jesus, I belong to God. We recognize we're in a major spiritual battle today. And when you study scripture, Jesus' mandate is get in the game. That's what he says to us. Hey, there's a battle going on, uh, but I want you involved in the game, which implies don't stand on the sidelines and, and don't be content with just sitting up in the stands. There's a game going on. Now, now spiritually speaking, that's where we're to be. We're to be in the game. Now, many of us in this room are sports fans, and so Todd was at the game yesterday, and, and you guys were enjoying it. Benji and Tanya, m- many were at the game yesterday. That, 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 that's a game, that, that's, a, that, that's a sport, and it's okay to sit in the stands as a spectator and watch that, but when it comes to being a member of the body of Christ, it, it's not okay to sit in the stands or just stand on the sidelines. Everything we read in Scripture would tell us this. Casual, complacent, comfortable Christianity is not an option. It's not even biblical. And, uh, and so, so Jesus again says, hey, it's game time, and I want each and every one of you as my disciples game ready, and I want you in the game. Uh, back to a sports analogy. Back in 1985, I remember having my first elbow surgery. And that, that was a bummer when you wake up in the morning and you got this chip lodged in there and things going on and your arm won't straighten out and they try stem and they try uh, ultrasound and heat packs and everything else. And they're like, man, you, you got to go see the doctor. I went to see Dr. Andrews, who is one of the most uh, renowned sports orthopedics, if you will. And he's like, man, I got I, I to gotta put you to sleep and we got to scope you and clean you out. So I got, I got knocked out of the game. Couldn't play. I was injured, and they're like, you, you're going to have to do some rehab, and you're going to have to heal up, and, and, and you can't play. And as a result, as a result, I had to go back down to my team in Florida. I was in the Florida State League, and, and, and when I got there, they told me, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get to the ballpark every day, and, and you're going to walk in, and, 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 and you're going to meet with a trainer, and you're going to do your rehab and therapy, and, and when you're done doing your rehab and therapy, uh, you're just going to chill, and when everybody else gets in uniform, you're not going to get in uniform, and when we go out to play the game, you're not going to play the game, you're, you're, you're just going to go sit in the stands. Man, that was so mentally hard. It was so fatiguing, because once you've been in the game, and once you've participated in the game, and once you've been aggressive on the field, it's hard just to sit and to watch, because you want to be in the game. And, and reality is, in this room right now, this morning, Many of us walk in here, and you've been hurt. So something in the past has hurt you. And so whether it's a, a betrayal or whether it's a rejection or somebody has violated you, or you've been hurt. All, all of us have been hurt, but some of us are still living with a hurt heart. And, and some of us are hurt right now. 
And, and the thought of getting in the game and even participating is like, I, I've been hurt. I, I don't want to play anymore. Some of us have been hurt by church. Some of us have been hurt by those people that, uh, that, that made up leadership in the church. And, 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 and I'm telling you, it's, it's hard. But here's, here's, here's what I want to say to you. You matter. Your, your story matters. And we desire to walk with you in healing. God wants to bring about healing in your life. And I promise you, I promise you, if you will take just that first step, I got to get in the game. I, I, I want to participate. I, I've got to get off the sidelines. Got to get out of the stance. If you'll take that first step and re-engage, here's what's going to happen. You, you'll start to feel revived, and you'll start to feel refreshed, and all of a sudden you'll start to feel restored. And when you start to engage in the spiritual battle and in the game and be a participator and a player, it changes your psyche. And it's so easy to live in a hurt state. It's so easy to just say, hey, man, I'm going to dive in there uh, for about 75 minutes, and, and, and I'm checking out. But, but the Great Commission, Matthew 28, going to all the world, is get in the game. Go into the world. Go. I want to use you as you're going to make disciples, which implies, hey, hey, be committed, be connected, but let's make a contribution to the whole of what God is wanting to do. So here's the question. Here's the question for you. What will I do with the life that God has given me? That, 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 that to me is a question that we've all got to answer. What am I going to do with the life, with the breath that God has entrusted to me? I can't blame anyone else. When I stand before the Savior one day, I'm not going to be able to point fingers and blame well, what did I do with what you've given me? And then you've got to ask, what hinders me from risking it all to go all in and surrender everything to the Lord? What, what is it in my heart, my mind, that's, that's hindering me? Because throughout the pages of Scripture, Jesus taught that the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which will last, that being the kingdom of God. The greatest thing you can do is to invest it in the kingdom of God. So we're all created, all of us sitting here are created by God and we're created to participate in something much greater than ourselves. We're not here for ourselves. The world does not revolve around me. Matthew 24, come on. Matthew 24, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and we've been on the Mount of Olives, Barb and I, a few years back, being over in Israel, and you're on the Mount of Olives, and you're looking down through the Kidron Valley, and, and there was the Temple Mount and where the temple would be. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately, and they said, hey, tell us, Jesus, tell us, uh, what will be the sign of your coming? When, 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 you're talking about dying. You're talking about leaving. What's going to be the sign of your coming? And then they ask this question. What, what, what's going to be the sign of the end of the age? And the, the, we've been asking that question right there, right? Hey, hey, when is Jesus returning and when's this world going to end? That, that was the question 2,000 years ago the, these disciples asked him. Then, so you've got to read Matthew 24 and 25. But Jesus looks at him and says, uh, all right, y'all listen to me. Some of y'all are going to be arrested. And, and 
some of you will be persecuted and some of you are going to be killed and you're going to be hated because you're my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Y'all realize this is going to happen? You might be hated. You may be betrayed. You may die. Many false prophets will appear and they will come in my name and they're going to deceive a lot of people and sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many, their, their hearts are going to grow cold. Brian, that's where we're living right now. Hey, Jesus, when, when's the world going to end? And when, you, when, when are you coming back? And Jesus never answers that question. He, he doesn't say, let me tell you when. His message was, let me tell you what, let me tell you how. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you what. Your heart needs to be ready every day. You need to be living in daily preparation preparation as if I'm coming today. And how you're living should be an anticipation that I'm coming today. You want to know when, I'm not telling you when, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you how. And then Jesus uses different stories, parables, and then he tells this one in Matthew 25. He said, it's like a, a man about to go on a journey. It's like this man, this, this master, this owner of this vineyard or whatever, He's about to go on this journey, and he calls his own servants, those that are employed by him, and he, he entrusted his possessions to them. And I'm not going to tell you when, but I'm going to tell you what and how. I want you to listen to me. Uh, to one, he gave five talents. To one, he gave two talents. To one, he gave one talent according to his own ability, and then he went on a journey. Now, I want you to get this. This, this is a very practical teaching to, to hopefully motivate us and agitate us and stimulate us to get into the game. Let me give you a premise statement based on this text. Write it down. Everything I have belongs to God. That, that would be a premise. I would even say everything belongs to God, thus everything I have belongs to God. He says in verse 14, God entrusted his possessions to us. His. So, so, so here's what it means. God has entrusted you with some of his possessions, but everything belongs to God. I'm going to entrust this to you. God made it all. God owns it all. And, 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 and let me threaten you. You don't own anything. You, you don't own anything. You came into the world with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing. We don't own anything. We don't get to take it with us, right? And I've, I've witnessed death and seeing my dear dad pass away on July 4th. I looked and I, I was like, he, he's passed away. He's gone to be with the Lord. And, and so when the, the undertakers came and the funeral home came, we, we didn't send all this stuff to put in the casket with him. He wants to take this with him. No, no, he's in the presence of the Lord. That breath, God said, Earl Cash, give me back my breath. And Earl Cash gave him back his breath. Because everything belongs to God, and even the breath that we have is a gift from God, and it belongs to God. So, so, so please, 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 all of us, we've got to understand, we are to manage and steward what belongs to God. We're just to oversee his possessions, 
That, that's the premise. Everything belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. And, and I will tell you this. When you understand biblical stewardship, it releases the grip of greed. You want to see the grip of greed start to lose its, its force. It belongs to God. It's not mine. It never was mine. So, so what, what ends up happening is that stewardship and managing God's stuff, it should create a heart of generosity because it's not mine anyway. I get to share God's stuff with somebody else. All, all I'm doing is, is stewarding, managing, and sharing. Each and every one of us have been called to faithfully manage what belongs to God. That, that would be our time. That would be our talents. That, that would be our wealth. That would be our health. That would be the gospel. That would be our families. That, that would even be our yards, our houses. Any, any, anything we look and go, this belongs to God. I'm to manage what belongs to him for his glory and for the good of my neighbor. So, so here's the provision, okay? So the premise is God owns everything. The provision is God has given everyone something. To one person he gave five talents. To one person he gave two talents. To one he gave one. The, the, the thing is all of us have been given something by God, the amount may differ, but we all got something. And, and one day, as I said before, he's going to say, now, give me back my breath. It didn't belong to you in the beginning when God created man. He breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. So what makes man alive? The breath of God. One day God's going to say, give it back to me. And, and so here, here it is. God's given you breath, but God has also entrusted what he would call talents. And I'm going to take some liberties here, but I want you to just walk with me. Uh, talents back in that day could have meant a certain amount of currency, but I, I believe it means abilities. I, I believe it means resources and skill and personality and, and spiritual gifts, uh, even your temperament. Again, time, talents. Wealth, health, you name it, anything, anything that God has entrusted to you could be viewed as a talent. You got these talents. Now, Rick Warren, I, I love what he said when he said, uh, we, we need to understand our shape. And we've got these spiritual gift assessment things that we could send you. But when you talk about a person's shape, here's what you're talking about five things S H A P E. Okay, you're talking about spiritual gifts. What are some of the unique spiritual gifts God's poured inside of me? H, what, what is my heart? What, what is kind of unique inside my heart and wiring, meaning some of the, 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 the will, if you will, inside of me that makes me want to fight, things that make me mad, glad, and sad? Then you look at A, what, what are some of the abilities that I have that kind of set me apart? And then you look going, hey, how, how has God wired me from a personality standpoint? And then the E would be, what are some of the experiences in life that God has given me that he wants to redeem for his glory? So, so I would tell you, you're, you're unique, you're one of a kind, but God has entrusted certain things to you. It belongs to him, but God has entrusted certain things to you. 
And, and if we could ever look in the mirror and just go, you know what? Based on Ephesians 2.10, you tell me I'm your masterpiece. I'm not mass produced. I am a one-of-a-kind one of piece of art, God, that you've created. And the way you've wired me is different than anyone else. Not that I'm better or less than, but I'm just different. Lord, uh, everything belongs to you. You've given me some things, and I want to glorify you with them. And I, I would just pray something like, uh, Lord, give me the courage to step out of my comfort zone, to step out of my self-protection. Uh, give me the burning desire to serve you and, and to be a, a kingdom player that can make an impact. That, that would be a good prayer to pray, would it not? It's like, uh, I don't even know where to start, but, but Lord, would you just give me the confidence and courage to step out of self-protection and self-exaltation, and, and just self, and, 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 and let, me, let me trust you to do something. So, so here's the perspective found in the text. God inspires us to use what God has given us. God inspires me to use what he's given me. Hey, verse 19 says, the master of the servants came back and settled the accounts. Hey, hey, he gave one five, one two, one one. The master came back and said, "Hey, time to settle up the accounts here." See, God gave, and God owns, and God inspires, but God inspects. God's going to inspect this stuff one one day. The, the scripture says we're all going to stand before God one day and, and give an account. It's appointed a man who wants to die and then stand before God. And so one day God's going to say, hey, 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 what, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you steward that? How did you manage that? Because the master wants a return. And the Bible says God's going to do an audit on our lives one day. Hey, what would you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your personality and the skills and the abilities? When I redeemed you and plucked you out of the ruins of darkness, what did you do with that? We don't want to just say, hey, hey, God, I went to church like three times a Sunday, and, and, and I spent like 75 minutes uh, every Sunday there, and then I went on back home and kind of chilled and grilled and, and watched football. No, 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 what, what did you do when it came to, to serving me and seeking me and loving your neighbor? What, what did you do? I'm, I'm going to do an audit on your life. And every one of us, every man and woman in this room, we're accountable and responsible to exercise and maximize how God has wired us. And, and you've got to overcome mind monsters and fear if you're going to step into it. <sighs> I couldn't ever do that. I'm not that smart. I mean, I'll get to that. But, but you've got to overcome mind monsters. And I think there's so many mind monsters that keep people locked up. Right? Ability without accountability and responsibility is a liability. It's like, no, no, I want you to use this. The first man took it. Hey, here's your five talents. He went out and he doubled them. A 100% return. The second man took what God had given him and he goes out and doubles them. 100% return. But the third guy that's emphasized in this text, if you read it, he just buries what God gave him. He's just going to bury it, hide it. He does nothing. Why, why, why wouldn't you do anything? Because I was cautious and I was afraid. And do you know that phrase, do not fear or be not afraid? You know that, this, that that's the most often quoted phrase by Jesus in the Gospels? Hey, don't be afraid. 
He goes, hey, what'd you do? I played it safe. I didn't try. I hid what you gave me. And when you look at verse 26, it says, the master was boiling. He was all heated up. He, he calls him lazy. Man, how can you be lazy? He calls him wicked. That, that, it's the parable. Jesus is going, do, do you realize that don't, don't get consumed with when? Get consumed with what and how. Keep oil in your lamp. Be ready. I'm coming back. You're lazy. Do you know it's wicked to do nothing with what God has given you? You cannot please God by playing it safe. I mean, life to me is spelled R-I-S-K. How do you spell life, Tim? R-I-S-K. I mean, life, I've got to take risk. I would rather attempt to do something and flop and fail than to sit there and do nothing. I would rather get my lunch handed to me and be engaged than just sit there and watch and dog the ones who are playing the game that did flop and fail. Man, I, I, I remember getting my lunch handed to me in sports, handed to me. Did you have some success? Yeah. But you know what we usually remember? We usually remember going out there and like, how'd that go last night? I threw one-third of an inning. One-third, that's only one out. Yeah, it wasn't good. I gave up four hits. I walked two guys. I hit another one. What did the manager say? Get them tomorrow. Which implied tomorrow when you show up, you're going to put the uniform on and you're going to be back in the game. Be ready to let that one go. I never had a manager after giving it up and just having a bad game look at me and go, go take your uniform off and just go home, dude. You need to go hang sheetrock with your dad. This ain't working. Every one of them said, hey, get them tomorrow. Let's go. And even when we have bad days when we're serving and we're engaging with the Lord, are we going to say things that we go, oh, God, I can't believe I said that? Are we going to do things that we wish, man, I wish I had a mulligan on that one? But I would rather do something. The question is, what am I going to do with the life that God has given me? Am I going to waste it? Am I going to just sit around and just kind of eat Cheetos and play video games? No. Am I going to spend it just on stuff for me and pleasure? Or am I going to invest it in the things of God? I mean, that's where we're at pretty much every day. Hey, what are you doing? Just killing time. Wow. I was talking to a friend of mine, an old college teammate this week, and, and, and he got into a business deal with a guy, and he's like, bro, this former teammate of mine, he said, I think it was a Ponzi scheme, bro. This, this dude ends up dying. He goes, I don't even know what I'm dealing with right now. I, I don't even know what I'm dealing with right now. He, he goes, my heart is broken. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm going to have to work another four or five or, or ten years. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. Hey, hey. And I told him, I said, hey, 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 listen, stay in the game. 
get, get, just stay in the game. We, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. We don't know if we're going to even live tomorrow. This dude was younger than me that died. I, I'm like, Ronnie, we don't know. I, I mean, I don't know why you yoked up with this guy. I don't know if it's a good deal or a bad deal. Hey, hey, don't quit. Stay in the game. Don't get bitter. Don't, don't get mad at the world. Stay in the game. And Jesus said, hey, you, you want to make your life count? Invest it in that which will last. This is so easy. I, I promise you it really, really is easy. All right, so there's 10,080 minutes in a week. Okay? There, this is a sharp-looking room in here, which means there's over 42,000 minutes in every month, usually about 43,000 or 44. 40, 43, 44,000 minutes in a month. In a month. If every person in this room served 80 minutes a month, if every person looked at 80 of those minutes and they said, you know, in these 80 minutes right here that I get 42,000 of these, I'm going to serve over here to impact that next generation. I'm going to serve on Wednesday night with Rick and Cross Student Ministries. I'm, I'm going to serve on Sunday morning. I, I'm going to serve in the cafe. I, I'm going to serve uh, out there in the parking lot, putting out cones and helping people and greeting people. I, I'm going to serve by helping arrange some chairs. I'm just going to, what would it look like? I, I'm going to serve just 80 out of the 43,000. You know, you know what people will oftentimes say? Hey, hey, what, what, you, you're going to get involved. You want to make a contribution? You want to partner with us? Hey, brother, I just ain't got the time. But if I'm not mistaken, four times 60, four times six is 24, that's 240. So, so for 240 minutes of what you don't have time to do, you, you, you sit there and watch that defense dominate Arkansas, but you had that 240 minutes. No, you, you, and this ain't a guilt and shame. This is, this is a get in the game. Come on. I, I'm going to go with Ronnie over there to shepherd stuff and help serve and pack some boxes. I'm going to get involved, Joe. It's time to get in the game. I've been Nursing my wounds long enough. I've been saying I, I was hurt long enough. And some of you are hurt. If you need healing, my two boys right here will meet with you, my two brothers. They're, they're like, come see me, and we'll get you on a track toward healing so that you can get back in the game. I mean, being in counseling, they don't meet with people to keep them in the stands and on the sidelines. They meet with them so that they get healthy and healed up so they can get back in the game. I mean, that, that, that's the game, right? What do you value? I value contributing. I value being in the game. Uh, I, I value participating. So, so today, at the end of the Connect Center, you go, I'm getting in the game. I, I want to serve in the next gen, whatever the area is. Here, here's the problem. Back to the text. The problem is fear will keep you from developing whatever talent God has given you. Verse 25, the guy says, hey, hey, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it. I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I was scared. Anybody that's ever done anything and taken a risk and stepped out in faith whew, was scared. 
hey, I'm going to leave this business over here where I got this guaranteed income, and I'm going to step out in faith because I feel like God's leading us into this. That's right. Go for it. Let's do it. God rewards faith. He does, not stupidity and insanity. He rewards faith. But, But the only way, the only way we really start to get in the game is to say, I gotta risk it. And, and so many people live in fear. I'm, I'm afraid. You got the doubter? I can never do that. I'm not qualified to do that. Oh, brother, that's not my calling. Oh, really? What's your calling? Since you can't do it, you couldn't do it, you won't do it, you won't try to do it, uh, what's your calling? And you, and you know what I know? Excuses will come keep you stuck. Man, I'm stuck. Why are you stuck? Because I'm the king of excuses. I love to hear people say, I'll try it. I'll go with you. I'll do it. I love that. Hey, man, here's what we got going on. I'll go with you. Let's go. Then you got people that I I just look at, I'm like, he's a quitter. He quits. Hey, uh, I fell so many times. I, I tried to do that one time. I tried to serve over there one time, and it didn't work out, so I just, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I tried to read the Bible one time, Tim. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I just put it down. I had, had picked it back up. Try again. Try again. Try again. Vince Lombardi said, once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. It's like, man, I have learned to quit. I have learned to walk away. I've learned not to stay engaged with it. And I can promise you, there's two ways to respond to failure. You either just quit, throw the towel in, or you get up. And we've talked about this over the years, my buddy Ronnie and I. Failure is not final unless you empower it to be final. This is final. No, No, it's not. It's part of the development process. I mean, what God is doing in you right now is what counts. It's not all of the stuff of the past. All of us have got junk in our past. But if we had the mindset of where do you want to go versus where you have been, it would change it. And we've got so many people that are doing life looking out of the rear view instead of the windshield, and they're consumed with where they've been, and they're not passionate about where they're going because they've gotten stuck, and they're like, I've jacked it up too many times. Like, man, I really do want the best of my life to be the rest of my life. I want to engage, like, stay in the game. And, and I'm at an age now, even from an athletic standpoint, where I can pretty much play cornhole. I mean, I can't play basketball. I mean, I'm afraid not only, afraid, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to blow an Achilles I'm afraid I'm going to roll my ankle, Orlando. I'll look at it, and I'm like, hey, brother, I will shoot you a game of horse. But as far as playing a game, I I can't do it. But I can still make a contribution to the game, but being in leadership with those in leadership positions of keeping my eyes on and helping motivate and help life coach uh, those in the game, I'd still be in it. And there's, there's so many roles for you to be in. You got some people that are doubters, some that are quitters, some that are just self-consumed. Oh, damn, what will other people think about me if I were to do that? I don't know. What would you think about you if you were to do that? 
right? Man, if they knew my story, if they knew how jacked up I am, none of you knew how jacked up any of us were, you, you would say, really? Every one of us involved in, in ministry is jacked up. We jacked it up. God redeemed it. I mean, I don't know of one perfect dead out there floating around except the one risen from the dead. It's like, man, Proverbs 29, 25, this is a good verse. New Living Translation, fearing people is a dangerous trap. Fear will make excuses for living defeated. Fear is a liar. Verse 24, the man who had received the one talent, don't, don't miss this. The man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. You're hard to deal with. Hey, hey, why didn't you do anything with the one talent that I gave you? It's your fault, not mine. You see the twisted thought process in this dude? Hey, why didn't you do anything? The guy with five doubled it. The guy with two doubled it. What'd you do? I didn't do anything because you're a hard man. And that's where people get it oftentimes. They've got such a twisted view of God. Well, I'm mad at God. How's that working for you? How's that working? And if we're not careful, we, we end up blaming God. It happened in the garden, right? Adam, what's up? And Adam goes, oh, the woman you gave me. I want to jack this up if you've never put her on the planet. It's the woman you gave me. Why don't you do anything with what I've given you? Because you are a hard man to deal with. Man, we got to get a right view of God. we got to get a healthy view of who God is. Hey, I'm for you. I'll never leave you. I'm not against you. I'm going to walk with you. Come on. Get up. Don't quit. Get, get back out there. Let's go. Here's the principle. What I don't use, I will lose. He goes, take away that talent from that guy. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. What was he saying? Hey, Tim, exercise and maximize, utilize whatever I've given you. Time, talent, money, whatever. Tim, Tim, you're not going to please me by playing it safe. You can't do it. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not of faith is sin. That, that's not of faith. It's sin. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've got to take some risk. And, 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 and I, I do believe when you study, like, Scripture, you'll see Jesus repeatedly saying, hey, guys, doing nothing is inexcusable. It, it, it doesn't work. As I said, I'd rather do something and, and struggle and fail at it than to do nothing. And I, I can tell you, we, we should deep down inside be saying, God, I want my life to count. I want my life to count for you. I want to be a difference maker. And there's so many people that we encounter every day. But please listen to me. You, you, you may have walked in here today and for the last months or even for the last year or so, you go, I am living a dull, defeated, just uh, my entire Christian journey right now is one of defeat, deceit, discouragement, and just being disturbed. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, you would say, Tim, once upon a time, 
there was a fire inside of me, but the fire has gone out. And instead of it being this real intimate relationship, now I'm just kind of into a ritual and routine. I'm so stale, I'm so stagnant. There's no joy, there's no hope, there's no peace. There's, I don't have anything. We will walk with you. We would say, come on. Come on and let's get in the game. Let's start walking with other people. Get in a small group. Get in a place where you can serve. Get into the life of other people. What happens? You get stretched when you're in the game. You get stretched. It's like, man, this is stretching me. Great. It's getting me out of my place of com- just comfort and and. And just living a carnal life out of my own flesh. But I'm getting stretched. And I have people say that to me oftentimes. Brother, I was going to so-and-so church or so-and-so, but we came in here. Man, this, this, this style of ministry stretches me. And I'm like, let's get stretched. Let's grow. And I would tell you, get involved in the mission. Get in the game. Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, he goes, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. I am sending you. He's talking to the disciples. They were probably 17 to 20 years old. Peter, James, John, and all these guys. He goes, all right, guys, I'm about to be gone. Game is about to be on, and I'm passing the ball into your hands. Hey, hey, listen to me. Just as the Father sent me, I am now sending you. Go. Go honor me. Go worship me and go love your neighbor. Acts 1.8, you will receive power. What is the power? I'm going to deposit the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is the way I would break this down. People go, what does it mean by Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? I would say this, go to Jerusalem. Those are the people closest to me. My friends, my family, hey, be my witness in your Jerusalem, those people closest to you. Hit it. Judea, what what is that? Those are the people that are near me but that are not like me that I haven't engaged with. Hey, we all have a Judea going on. There's people around us and near us that are not like us. And he goes, take the gospel there. I want you to take it to Samaria. Where is that? It's wherever you're at. It's floating down the aisles in Kroger or Walmart or wherever you're at. It's being at the QT, getting gas, and engaging in conversation. It's going for a walk in your neighborhood. I mean, my brother is here today who lives in my neighborhood, first time being on this campus with us. And we met just walking through the neighborhood, started talking, stop. I'm like, look at you and your wife showing up. It thrills my heart. Why? Because wherever we're at, we're to be his Witnesses, come on, give you three things here. I would make this my declaration, or I would challenge you to. I I would make this the declaration. God, all right, I'm stepping out of the self-protection stuff. God, I will care about other people. I pray that you would give me the compassion that you have, the compassion you have for other people. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens And fulfill the law of Christ, which means help other people shoulder what they're going through and love like Jesus. If we just laid ourselves out on the the floor in the morning and said, Lord, give me a heart 
to extend care and compassion to other people. Help me, Jesus. I just want to, I just want to care about other people. Not people that vote like me, people that think like me, people that like wearing the same stuff I do. Just give me compassion for people. Just go serve. Second thing is, God, I'm going to dare to make a difference. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. 1 Corinthians 9 says, Paul was writing this. He goes, you know, when I'm with those who are oppressed, I share in their oppression. So that I might bring them to Christ. I try to find common good and common ground with everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. What are you doing? I just try to find common ground. Hey, what's going on? And, and just listen. And just find common ground and start to engage in conversation to go, man, maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're distraught. You go, can I pray with you? Man, you're really hurting today. I'd love to pray with you. Sure. God's going to tee it up if we just dare to be involved. And then I would tell you, learn to share your story with other people. Again, your story matters. It's like, man, i got to tell my story. Luke chapter 8, Jesus, after he heals this person, he goes, go back to your family and tell them what wonderful things God's done for you. Hey, you, you see what I've done? With, I've touched you. I've brought about healing and restoration. Hey, go back and tell your family what I did for you. So we went through all the city telling about the great things that Jesus had done. Hey, hey just go tell your story. I, I don't even know how to do that. Well, here, here, here's how you tell your story. I mean, just three simple things, and we've taught this over the years. But in sharing your story, you go, here's who I was before I met Jesus. I just write that down. Who were you before you met Christ? Uh, what made you realize you were lost and needed to be found? Who I was before Christ? Now, when you share your testimony, I've heard too many over the years that they'll spend 45 minutes talking about who they were before Christ. They'll spend two minutes talking about how they met Christ, and they'll spend one minute talking about, well, God is changing me. That, that's a bad, jacked-up model. We should spend about two minutes saying, here's what was going on in my life. A lot of people like to almost glorify sin when they're telling their story. Well, you don't even know what I was involved in and how bad I was. The power of the gospel is not your darkness. The power of the gospel is the power of the light. Okay, so we're talking about what we got saved to, not what we got saved from, and what we got saved to, how it's changing me. But we've been around those circles where we hear somebody tell their story, and it's like, dude, you, you've been over here just, just talking for 30 minutes about darkness. I, I thought you were going to tell me how you met Christ. Okay, so what made you realize you needed a Savior? Two, how did you begin that relationship with Christ? I can go back down that trail and go, man, here's where I was. I was lost as a, a ball in high weeds. I used to say as a midget in a cornfield, and people said that wasn't politically correct, so I had to change it to a ball in high weeds. It's amazing how you have to change your story based on whatever times you're living in. I wouldn't be in rude toward short people. I'm just thankful I wasn't one, correct? I mean, I, I would not. But so you have to say, how did you meet Christ? We play around all the time. But how did you meet Christ? Like, what was it that drove you there, and who were the people that introduced you? Here's, the, here's the, the game changer for me. How is Jesus changing you and transforming you now? And you get there, and you go, what has God taught me through failure, through disappointment, through illness, through sorrow, through even some success? You sit there, and you go, what has God taught me? What, what is God doing in me right now? And then you go, what, what have I learned from my family, from the church, from my, 
relationships, from my small group? What have I learned from my critics? Uh, God's using all this stuff. And what has God taught me through word and prayer and through fellowship and through worship and through fasting and through loving and through giving and through serving? Like if I write this out and go, hey, I can coach you up. I want to hear your story, but we're going to learn how to tell our story. Can you do it? Yeah. So here's a close. Here's my wrap. I would encourage you to get in the game. Be missional. It's like use what you have. How's God wired you? What do you got? And, and I want to be a useful team player for the kingdom of God. And it's like, God, I want to love. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to care. I want to dare. I want to share. I want to do all this. And, and, and many of us sitting in here, it's like, and we've got to learn to live a life of radical generosity. We've got to move from just kind of occasionally tipping God to move into a place of tithing to a place of just saying, I'm, I'm going to live a life of radical generosity. I would tell you that. you got to get in the game. Now, now, to get in the game, you've got to be on the team. And there's a lot of false assurance in the South. A lot of false assurance. It's like, well, I've been around church, bro, for a long time now. Are you on the team? Have you violently repented and surrendered to Christ? Have you truly asked Christ to save you from you and save you to him? You, you got you to gotta get on the team if you're going to get in the game. And I pray that each of us, each of us are on the team and that we're passionate, passionate about being involved in the game, the mission. I'm going to pray. Thank you.